so he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. My dear friends, on this fifth Sunday of Lent, we continue to hear from the gospel messages about God's mercy. Last Sunday, the emphasis was on a forgiving God who was not busy calculating the enormity or gravity of the sins of his children, but, was, but is patiently waiting for them to come to their senses and return to the Father. Because sin separates us from the Father's love. Last Sunday, Jesus used a parable of two brothers, each of them far away from the Father. Because moving away from the Father is not just about distances, it is about attitudes. It is about the position of the heart, not about the position of the body. Because the younger son, yes, was physically away, but the older son was equally morally away. But the father wanted both sons to enjoy the fullness of the love of heirs to all his property. The first, the younger son in that parable repented and came home and was forgot, forgiven. The older son showed no sign of repentance because he wasn't even conscious that he was in error. But the father was pleading with him. God treats each of us differently. And only he knows the condition of our hearts. And when Jesus tells us not to judge, it is not in the sense that evil ceases to be evil when our neighbor commits it. It is in the sense that you may know that that act is evil and can judge that evil act, but you will never really know the story of the person and therefore you may not be in a right position to judge the person. 
And that is the message of the gospel today. But before that, not just the story of the woman, because this one really happened. It's not a parable. It happened. But the emphasis here is not just not to judge, but then the last words of Jesus to the woman, if you are still alive and still ready to make efforts, you are not condemned. I won't condemn you. Go. But from now onwards, don't sin again. And the first reading and the second reading, we had the same message. The prophet Isaiah tells the Israelites in exile who really were weighed down by a sense of guilt, having realized that their sins brought them to where they were, Prophet, the prophet sends a message of hope. Now, do not think about the past anymore. Let us forget the past. Let us start from now and focus on what is possible in the future. One thing you have to bear in mind, though, is that God's revelation to his people comes gradually. If you read the entire Old Testament, you find a gradual progress in God's self-revelation to his people. At a point, he told them, if anybody commits sin, he will die. Not only that he will die, but also his children and children's children will suffer for those sins. Because he needed to form a people conscious of a new religious and moral culture, different from what they were used to. And to distinguish them from all those around them, he had to be severe and, so to speak, without compromises in the moral law that he was giving. But we know that hundreds of years later, through the prophet Ezekiel, for instance, the tone had been modified somehow. After the experience of Moses and the Israelites in the desert, after the experience of, exod, of, exod, of uh, exile because of disobedience, and with repeated messages from the prophets, Ezekiel comes with a new message, an advancement. Now, if a man commits a sin, he is the person who will be punished, not his children. Again, if the sinner himself repents and seeks my face, his past sin will be canceled, will be forgotten. But if the righteous man turns from righteousness and begins to commit evil, even his good deeds are forgotten. Now, the emphasis becomes the present. And this was a preparation for the fullness of time when God would come in his son 
to tell us exactly how to live out the old law of Moses. That is why Jesus would tell the Jews, I did not come to cancel the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And in fulfillment, he was telling them to observe not just the letters of the law, but what was meant by God when he gave that law. We know all the explanations or commentaries and the enlargement he brought to the law during, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. The Levitical law, the law of Moses says, Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt not commit adultery. Leviticus and Deuteronomy both say clearly, if a man commits adultery with a woman, not his wife, both shall be put to death. Before we come to that, Paul, who as Saul was the greatest sworn enemy of the church, persecuted the church, authorized the killing of Stephen, now tells us in this letter to the Philippians, I know what I have experienced in the redeeming cross of Christ. If I were to look at my history, at my past, I would not be where I am. Now I don't let my past weigh me down. All I know is that I, I strive for the prize that is to come, looking at the cross that has saved me. It is not about what I'm able to do. It is about what he is able to do in me if I continue to collaborate with him. But once I keep looking back, that is when my problem begins. Therefore, I will not look back. The passage, this in chapter 8 of St. John's Gospel is a continuation of the story we have been hearing of the dispute between Jesus and the leaders of the, religio uh, the religion of the people, the religious leaders, and the leaders of thought in his time that culminated in a decision to kill him. In chapter 7, that we heard until yesterday, they were saying, is this the Messiah? Is this not the Messiah? And Jesus was telling them, look, I have come to give you life. You better listen to me. After the argument about his personality, listen to what happened. Chapter 7 ends by telling us that the people at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, every one of them returned to his home to ponder this their debate with Jesus. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray. And after praying, early in the morning the next day, he came back to the temple. He was teaching in the temple, and they were looking for ways to catch him. But after the feast, they returned to business as usual, but he remained where he belonged in the presence of the Father. First, 
and the mountain of olives to pray, then in the temple to teach. By the way, for all of us who are teachers of God's people, the only thing you can communicate meaningfully to the people of God is what is a result of your own communication with God. If you do not talk with God, you cannot talk meaningfully about God. Jesus would always retire to talk with his father, after which he will come out publicly to talk to the people about the father. The priest, as teacher of the people, is primarily a man of prayer. If he is not praying, he cannot teach properly. And Jesus comes from this experience of prayer and was teaching in the temple. And those leaders of the religion of the people came back not to pray and not to listen to the teaching. But they brought to him a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. Teacher, I think you say you sabi. May we see how you escape this one. This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. With whom? With whom? You caught him in the, in the very act. Moses' law says, if a man, anytime the law is mentioned, it begins with, if a man, and it always ends with both of them. Now, where is the man? If you caught her in the very act, can somebody commit adultery alone? Can somebody commit adultery alone? Yes. Jesus said that if you look at a woman desiring to commit adultery with her, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. But that adultery, you commit it alone. The woman, But in this say they say they caught her in the very act. You remember the story in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, chapter 13, the story of Susanna. The case of Susanna, the woman, was innocent. And these perverse elders who wanted to put Susanna into trouble came and accused Susanna publicly that they caught her in the very act. But they knew the law, and at least they pretended to be honest. Said, we saw the boy or the man, but he was smarter and younger, and he escaped these other crooked elders did not even pretend to have seen the man. But they claim she was caught in the act. The story of Daniel liberated an innocent person. But this one was guilty. Why did Jesus react the way he did? For several reasons. The first being that he knew their intention. They were not interested in this woman and the sin. They were interested in catching Jesus and putting him into trouble. Because 
if he ever authorized the killing of this woman, they would be the very persons to go to Pilate and say, this man is taking law into his hands. He incites people to stone others to death at the flimsiest excuse. And if he said, let this woman alone and go away, that would mean he wasn't even from God because he would be contradicting God's law about adultery. And for your information, adultery is a serious sin. And the Jews regarded it as a very serious sin because it was also representative of the infidelity of the people in their relationship with God. And that is why any time God wanted to accuse the Jews of idolatry, he would say they were prostitutes. Especially in the prophet Amos. You are playing your harlot. Harlotry. Because the fidelity a believer should have in his relationship with God is the same that a man or a woman should have in his or her relationship with a spouse. That was why they took it very seriously. And Jesus had no intention of diminishing the seriousness of that sin. To the extent that he even extended its application to thoughts. But here, he sat, he bent down and started writing. Nobody knows what he wrote. Nobody knows why he wrote it. And there have been so many speculations. So many reasons people give. Some say he was writing down the sins of those elders. <laughs> and they saw that he knew their hearts and ran away. Others said he was just trying to gain time to know how to respond to them. But there is another possibility. You remember that God wrote the law of Moses in tablets of stone. And with time, he then wrote that law through the prophets in the hearts of human beings. And the coming of Jesus was to have implication not just for human beings, but for the redemption of the entire humanity. So his writing on the earth, symbol of the entire creation, was to remind all of us that God's law is the basis of order in the world. And once we don't obey that law, we won't have peace in the world. We won't even have peace with creatures. Isaiah will tell you that when we repent of our sins, lambs and wolves will sleep, children and snakes will sleep, and nobody will be hurt. But we have to be converted first. And St. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans that only when human beings have been converted will the earth be healed of the sins that we notice. So why did he write on the, on, on, on the earth? We don't know. But we know that as he started writing, they persisted in asking him the question. And then he looked up and said, 
Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The same law of Moses, the book of Leviticus, specifies that if a person commits, both in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, if a person is accused of committing a crime, there must be two witnesses, not just one. And if the person is condemned to death, those two should be the first to lay their hands on the person before others join in killing him. And when they said, Moses said such women should be stoned to death, they didn't specify that the law, I think Deuteronomy chapter 22 from verses 22 to 23, says that it is only when a virgin betrothed to a man has been violated by another man that both should be stoned. The other prescriptions did not indicate how the persons should die. But now, they don't even give any indication that this woman was betrothed. To show you that their intention was, it was not about the law, it was about Jesus. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw his stone. Again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And in response, they started going away. This statement is very consoling, but it's very dangerous. Could Jesus really be telling us, of course he has said, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And you cannot be telling, to your, telling your brother, let me remove the speck in your eye when you yourself have a log inside your own eye. And Jesus is telling us, you are not in a position to judge. Don't judge anybody because you yourself, you are also a sinner. That is very dangerous for society. In that case, how can the rector be telling you you are not a good seminarian, you should go, or this is not your vocation? He's judging you. How can the bishop be saying you have done wrong and he will punish you? He's judging you. How can any lawyer or judge or magistrate say you are guilty, therefore you are sentenced, if we are not to judge? And this could become an excuse for those who want to suggest that in the society where everybody is a sinner, nobody really should judge another person. Let everybody behave the way God created him or her, and none of us should judge. That is not the idea. It is not about the rightness or wrongness of acts. It is about our attitude to those who have committed sins. See the way they dragged this woman to the temple. Think of the humiliation. Think of the publicity. Think of the violence. Some of us derive joy in humiliating people who are already fallen in abusing sinners. There is a story told 
You know, there were some priests when they are hearing confessions. They are so impatient with penitents that they are quarreling. How can you be doing this and you call yourself a Christian? One day in a confession, after scolding the sinner so loudly, the story is told that the crucifix hanging in the confessional started to talk. I said, Ah, Father, take it easy. It wasn't you who died for his sins, so I was the one. <laughs> and you know that our people, even in our culture, so unforgiving. You know that sometimes when a girl gets pregnant in the family and she's not yet married, she's meant to kneel in front of everybody for several weeks so that others will learn a lesson. Where the man will put it in inside now? Only the girl, always. And Bishop Energy would always teach us, pregnancy is not a sin, no. It is fornication or adultery that are sins. If God has forgiven the sin, why punish pregnancy? And if you continue humiliating people who sin that way, the consequences can be very grievous. Jesus was against that humiliation. You don't write anybody off. God does not want the death of the sinner, but that the person may repent and live. Only God knows the entire story of each individual. And that is why even some countries now are arguing, and they are implementing it, that no matter the sin or crime of anybody, you don't kill that person. You can remove him or her from public life, so that there is no interaction with the others and he or she would not be dangerous anymore. And that is life imprisonment. But don't take life. As he told them, let he who is without sin among you be the first to cast stone, this first stone, they started going away. You are probably, that means also that each of them realized he was a sinner. Remember, pay attention, he didn't say, let he among you who has not committed adultery without sin. God's commandments are ten. And there is no reason why you should single one out as the only sin. The person who said, thou shalt not commit adultery also said thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not be jealous and thou shalt not be envious and thou shalt not be a false witness. The same command, book of the law. Examine yourself. With, the all, with all the commandments before you and their various implications. You are probably familiar with that statement. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it ill behoves any of us to speak ill of the rest of us. No sinner is so bad that there is no good left in him or her. Jesus knew that.
And that is what he's teaching us to learn. Nobody is irredeemable. And this is what Pope Francis has been telling us since 2013. Your past can still be redeemed. They can still become mat- your past can still become material for a fruitful, pre- a happy present and a fruitful future. So long as, like Paul, you forget that past, focus on what you can do in the present, looking at the future reward that God promised. Although we should not sink to the permissiveness of thinking that since all of us are sinners, nobody should really make any comment about good or bad. The central message is, before you throw that your stone, make sure or realize that there could be others also who should be stoning you because of your own sins. And if you don't want to be stoned because of your own sins, why cast stones on an, at another person? None of us is free. And you may think you only commit venial sins. What you call venial, given your own training, given the amount of grace God has given you, given your own environment may be really grave sin for another person who hasn't had your opportunity. A person who is stealing pen and pencil in the seminary will embezzle billions if he becomes a minister. Because you don't know in the context where you have, if you are stealing pens and pencils and other person's shirts and trousers, that is the only thing you see. If you are stealing their books or shortening the food in their store because you are the procurator or the refectorian, I'm, I'm not saying they do it too. But if you are doing that, when you are in charge of trillions, you will take billions. So, look at your own life. The same God is telling us to come and leave sin behind. Before you cast your stone, look at your own life and you ask for mercy. Unlike this woman, those people went away, but the woman was left alone with Jesus. Many of us are carrying stones, looking for whom to stone. Some of us are carrying the stones in our bags, some in our hands, some in our mouths, and they are are thrown with the tongue because we kill with the tongue. And now the the stones used more or most today, we find them in social media, text messages, WhatsApp messages, WhatsApp status, Twitter. What is the other one? Instagram, WhatsApp, all those things now. Facebook. They have become places where we throw stones at others. And before you throw that stone, ask yourself, you are spending your money 
to destroy another person and to enrich the owners of these platforms. Before you hit send, send, you forward, five, six, ten persons, gossip. Ask yourself, why or what will it build? How does it help that other person get better? Or how does it help me to get better? I think the first stones we have to drop are the stones of the social media. And we are using these stones against ourselves, against governments, against the church, against everybody. Not in a constructive way, but in a destructive way, just to kill. Sometimes... When we find fault with our public officers, it is easy to say what they are not doing properly. And maybe we are free to say it because we elected them to do that. But before we say crucify him or go cast the stone, go and check the gutter you are supposed to be cleaning during function. And the quadrangle you are supposed to be sweeping and flowers you are supposed to be watering. And the seminarians you are supposed to be forming. And the diocese you are supposed to be educating and leading to God. And the family you are supposed to be forming. Check whether you have 100% there. I don't know whether you get the point I'm making. It is not that Jesus was supporting evil. Far be it. And we see it at the end. He's warning us to be slow in wanting to destroy others because of their feelings. Others went away. Without a word of apology, they went away. Without any sign of repentance, they went away. But this woman found herself standing alone with Jesus. Terrible feeling for a sinner. I don't know if you have had this experience that we have sometimes when we go for confession. You are there at the confessional, face to face. All the voices you have been hearing in your conscience, there's no point going because you are commit, going to commit that sin again. You, have, you are no longer redeemable. You, and then you enter the confessional, face to face with the Lord, and you say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. And by the time you finish the sins, the priest is silent. pim. Bim, bim. One person once told me that he once went to confession just to fulfill all formalities because Father had been telling him, go, go, go. It was more than three years since his last confession. But eventually he went. And after spending all the long time that he spent in enumerating the ones he could remember, the only thing that the priest told him was, welcome back. He said he broke down and wept. And he didn't hear any other thing that the priest said. Because that moment he knew God had forgiven him. Because standing face to face alone with Jesus, who had power over life and death, 
I am sure that woman, knowing she was guilty, would have prayed for the earth to open for her to enter. And Jesus straightened up and looked her in the eye, in the eyes. And we know the story of the publican who sat, who stood far beyond, at the end of the gate, at the entrance to the temple without even looking up. Lord, be merciful to me, a poor sinner. I am sure this woman did not look up. She hadn't the courage to look up. But this statement of forgiveness from Jesus, yes, it shows God's mercy, but it is an incredible challenge. Go, but from now on, do not sin again. You remember the story of the man who was cured a paralytic because he was at the pool, nobody to take him down to the waters. And Jesus came and said, take your mat and go. And he was well. He became well and left. And when the Pharisees asked him, today is Sabbath, why are you doing that? He said, the man told me to go. And where is it? He didn't know who it was. And when Jesus met him, he said, now you are well. But don't sin again. Or something worse than paralysis will happen to you. Jesus does not accommodate sin. But he accommodates the sinner. So long as he or she is prepared to start again. Forget the past. Look at the redeeming cross of Christ. And struggle on. From today onwards, there's a prayer we say in the breviary, Lord, please do not allow us to get used to sin. Sometimes we have a tendency to excuse or explain away our sins or even blame others for our sins. Take responsibility. Accept forgiveness and decide from today onwards to forget the past Look at the cross and struggle on. He's not telling you you didn't commit any sin. Anyway, don't worry. I've taken charge. No, 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 no. Serious as it is, you can still be redeemed from today. Every one of us is still redeemable, including that person you think is the greatest sinner. Even you yourself, you should not give up on yourself because your past can be redeemed. Sometimes you may think I will not succeed. You will never get beyond 50 in this subject. It is not, I will tell, give you an example with myself. In my first year in theology, I attended an ordination before lectures began and came back to join others at the beginning of lectures, only to realize that for the two days I wasn't in the seminary, one of the teachers had started his own lectures, Introduction to Scriptures and Hebrew. And so when I, we came to class the next Monday, 
I was hearing choruses from my classmates. Yes, they were giving answers. Because they had gone to two lectures before me, I felt entirely lost and discouraged. The first semester exam in Hebrew, I didn't perform very well. Don't think I failed. I didn't fail. Introduction to scriptures, I didn't perform as well as I wanted. That happened first semester. Second semester, I walked up to the teacher in his office and told him, Father, I have not been doing well in your subjects, but wait for me next exam. Honestly, I told him that. I told him in Hebrew, I will not get less than this. And in scripture, I will not get less than this. I told him in Hebrew, I wouldn't get less than 75. I had been scoring 50-something. And in scripture, I wouldn't get anything less than 90%. I went to work. I got 85 in Hebrew and 100 in scriptures. You may think your past is such you can't be redeemed. All your businesses you have been trying, I'm using this not to exalt myself, but to tell you your past is redeemable. There is no condition that you are constrained with about your past that cannot be redeemed with the grace of God in Christ, whether individual or collective, including the situation in which we find ourselves in Nigeria. Today, if we decide as Christians to do the right thing from today onwards, Nigeria will be redeemed. Go. But from now onwards, sin no more. Second chance, that may be last chance, obtained at high cost, the cost, the cross of Calvary. It does not mean you were right when you sinned. It only means that that sin is not the last word on your life. Go. But from today onwards, don't sin anymore.